After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round-tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday. 
and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome presented of course by DraftKings Sportsbook the official sports betting partner of the UFC and of your welcome download the DraftKings app do it today and use the promo code CHAIL to get in on all the action and speaking of action the pay-per-view is finally here And at the end of today's show, I'm going to give you my official predictions for the top three fights on the main card. And before we get to all that, I want to do a check-in with the heavyweights. Tom Aspinall going to be fighting Curtis Blades. That is an awesome fight. For any media inquiries that you need with Tom Aspinall, direct them to me. I'm going to be handling these for Tom for this fight moving forward. Now... While I say that with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, guys, this is an incredible fight. Look, if Tom is as good as I say he is, and I do say, this is the you got to keep your eye on this guy. You absolutely got to keep your eye on this guy. I will share with you, and listen to these words now. Listen to these words. The hardest fight in the heavyweight division right now for John Jones is Curtis Blades. I'm not ready to word that differently. I'm not ready to tell you guys that absent John Jones, the best heavyweight out there right now is Curtis Blades. I'm not ready to do that, but I'm damn close. I'm not ready to do that. I still believe it's Stipe. And I even have a backstory, and those guys used to chain together, and I know that Curtis has his respect, and Stipe kind of knows what he would do if they would fight. I and mean, I got my own reasons for still putting Stipe there. But Curtis Blades, the hardest time getting over with you, the audience. I really haven't seen anybody in a meaningful period of time that checks as many boxes as Curtis does. And for some reason, there's resistance. And it's not just with you, it's with the media. It's not just with you, it's not just with the media, it's with the fellow opponents. It's not just with you, not just with the media, not with the fellow opponents. It's with the boys in the suits on the second floor of the UFC. It's just one of those things. And it's very hard to explain. He's a handsome guy. He's not afraid to fight. He fought Ngano before anybody knew what an Ngano was. When he found out what an Ngano was, he demanded to fight him again, got on a plane, went to a different continent, fought him again, got the same result, and has ever been, been trying to fight him a third time. We love guys like that. Somebody comes along the way, decides they're going to call him boring. And if you have a national wrestling championship, which Curtis Play does, and somebody decides to go on something the kids call the underground forum and label you boring, you're stuck with boring for a little bit. That is the way it works. So Curtis hears this. He doesn't want to be born. He goes and starts working on his kickboxing. And it's cost him a couple of times. Go see the Derek Lewis fight. But in all fairness, his kickboxing's gotten very good. And when he uses that kickbox, get inside, go back to that wrestling, go back into that pound, he start to use that condition. Man, he's a handful. Curtis plays a pain in the ass. He's an excellent fighter. He is the biggest challenge to John Jones. I would be surprised. If you had John privately, I'd be surprised if John didn't tell you that. If John wouldn't concede to that, you know, as I'm looking at the roster, I don't think John's worried to fight him. I don't think that would be the right words, but I will tell you, Curtis Blades, matchup wise, size wise, the whole experiments that John's going through, the whole, can he take on a bigger guy? Can he take on a taller guy? Can he take on a guy with this big, longer? It's Curtis Blades. That's the guy. Now, before that match could ever happen, before you could ever build any hype for Curtis has got to get through Tom. And the reason I'm building Curtis, the reason I'm shining up right now, I'm I'm sticking with Tom. I'm sticking with, but I want I want Tom to get the credit if he can deal with Curtis Blades. If he can get through, this would be monumental. 
And when the house is on fire for Aspinall, he is turned to a double leg and ground and pound. He did that with Orlovsky in round two. He did his last fight with Volkov. It's very relevant. Because making believe that he could go out there and score a takedown on Curtis Blades. I can't remember anybody that's ever taken Curtis down. Can you? I don't remember anybody getting close to taking Curtis down. Can you? It's not to say that's Tom's only way to go. It's just to say this is a different fight. And I think that Tom is being the one that's being brought along. I think that people are thinking that Tom is going to win. I will share for you when the line comes out on that, and I trust that it already has, and I just haven't gone to DraftKings and looked it up. I will bet you, dollars to donuts, I will bet you Curtis Blades is the favorite. The insiders know what I'm saying is true. Curtis Blades, that's a rough night out. There's a way to beat him. And Tom has the hands, and he's got the power in his hands to do it. But it's a very interesting fight. I want to make sure that we put a lot of focus and a lot of attention on this fight. Because whoever comes out of this is going to be very, very in the short list to be a number one contender. Dana spoke about today, Miocic versus Jones getting those guys together. Now, I thought we did that five months ago, in all fairness. I thought we were just, wait, that was the fight. We're going to do that. We're going to figure out what's going on with Francis. But before we figure out where the contract is with Francis, he's got the right to be out. He's got the knee injury. I thought, I thought that we did this dance. I thought that we were there. But the mere fact that the media asked about it and Dana spoke about it, it's like, okay, maybe we weren't. But now it looks like we're getting close. So if you do go the Jones and the Stipe route, once we get that date, it does start to begin, well, who's next? And we're still going to have the question of where's Francis at? Do we got the contract done? How's the knees doing? I understand those things. But you guys understand at some point we're going to get on with it anyway. And matches that are main events or matches that are big matches or the specific match I'm talking about with Curtis Blades and Tom Aspinall, just like that becomes a number one contender's fight. And that sounds right to me. I know Surreal Gon's got some business coming up. I know Tui Vasa's the most popular guy in the entire division. But that's a really interesting fight. And Curtis has never done a wonderful job of getting the credit that he deserves. Everything that I just said about Curtis is true. The guy's a national champion. The guy learned how to kickbox. The guy's been in main events. The guy's been getting better. Even the fight that he lost against Derek Lewis, rounds had gone by, and he'd won all of the rounds. He's a very, he's very good fighter. And Tom is this rising star. I do think that's going to be a number one contender's fight. But it's only a number one contender's fight if we get behind it. You're only going to get behind it if you know what you're looking at. And it's my job to tell you. Francis Ngannou just did an interview. Now, I like this. Francis Ngannou says, I'm far from done. I got five years left. I'm just getting started. Three kings. Guys, we've been taking Francis at his word from Jump Street. Anybody that's been crossed with Francis because he's not going to come back and he's not going to defend his championship and he got to the top and then he, he pulled the ladder up behind him or he wants to go somewhere else. That's only things that he said. He never actually did it. I mean, in all fairness, if we're going to roll with Francis based on what he's saying, this is a very good day. This is a very good day if you're a Francis fan. Let's reset. I'm just getting started. I am going to defend. I'm going to fight for five more years. Three kings. Boom. And we're just swaying in the wind. I mean, is this a glimpse? Is this the first glimpse into Francis rethinking something? Eh, maybe. Probably not. I, I get it. We're probably making something out of nothing. But it's all that we've got. Francis has not given us much in a period of time. And I'd like to know how he's training. You know, you got the bum knees, probably not in the gym a whole lot, but it is relevant to me. Conor McGregor was never the same when he went into boxing. And I know other guys, right? That was the striking realm that we all saw 
on television. But there's been other guys that have done the same thing. But they went into grappling. It wasn't seen as much. It wasn't pay-per-view. It didn't have all of the luster. Other guys have stopped completely to try to make Olympic teams. You know, along the way, since 1993, since we've been doing this thing, my only point that I'm trying to make is anybody that's taken their eye off the ball, anybody that's taken their foot off the gas, has very seldomly recovered. They never transitioned efficiently or effectively. They bit off more than they could chew. I mean, Connor versus Floyd, fine example. Connor never done it. Floyd never lost at it, right? Bit off more than he could chew. Fully focused on it to make it competitive. Save your ego, get the moral victory. But that's as good as you're going to get. And it was good as was gotten. And then when you try to put the tape in rewind, it's just not the same thing. Boxing and MMA is not the same thing. It is colossally different. And boxing coaches, Clayton Hires, just by example, that understand MMA and understand boxing, they can make it work. But you've really got to know, I mean, the way that you stand, the way you're going to use shoulder blocks, you've got to understand protecting yourself. When you've got four ounce gloves on, something that you can't do with 16 ounce gloves, you've got to understand the ineffectiveness to the history of MMA of the jab, which controls a boxing fight. It is controlled one MMA fight in history. It was George St. Pierre versus Josh Kostrick. You will never see another example where a jab in an MMA fight has controlled the fight. I only share with you, they're very different sports. They're very different. And you'll make believe, oh, I'm going to go into my boxing. And when I come back into MMA, oh, my hands are going to be so good. Everything's going to be so great. I just use Connor by an example. It's the fight that you know. I'm not looking to pick on Connor right now, but he goes over. He does the boxing. He does this incredible job with Floyd. He comes back in his next fight. It's the first time he gets gets popped. First time that he goes down. Right? Talk about the fight with Khabib. Don't think you have to correct me. I realize it wasn't an official knockdown, but you know exactly the shot that I'm talking about. It was the worst shot that he's ever taken. But it also comes in because of the bad habits that you form when you're off and doing the boxing. What is the point that I'm trying to make? The point that I'm trying to make is I would personally be very curious how Francis is training. Now, again, I understand the knee. So the answer quite possibly agree, he's just not. But if he is, I would be very curious. How much does he know? How pot committed is he that he's got this whatever coming up that's going to be stand-up and it's going to be opposite Fury? I would be very curious. And we would know that if we had insight into his training. Is he planning to defend? Is he still working on MMA? Is he not working on MMA at all? And he's just going on working on whatever it is him and This would be a relevant clue. It would be wildly fascinating clue because now we have Francis say that he's coming back, which not for nothing. When Francis does his best work, he's standing up anyway. I mean, you take the, his last fight out of the equation, they were all stand-ups, and he's putting guys' heads in the first and second and third row. It'd be very relevant. By the way, I had somebody ask me, what is three kings? Francis said, I got five years left. I'm just getting started. Three kings. That's what he said. And here was my answer. Tell me if I'm right. I think what Three Kings is, Usman, Adesanya, and Gano. That's what I think. And there was a poster done. I don't know if it was done by the UFC. It might have been. But it was some media outlet. It might have been one of you. The fa- Whoever did this deserves to be nominated for an award. But it was the three of them, Usman, 70-pound world champion, Adesanya, 85-pound world champion, and Gano, heavyweight, world champion, African, in African garb, in the attire, with their belts. It was so bad. This was the home run of marketing. Right? You guys remember the four horsemen? Ric Flair and Arn Anderson, right? But you remember this angle? This is a real thing. You get the Diaz boys. You get, right, you get these gyms that are on fire. I think that's what the Three Kings was. 
I think that's what Francis was talking about. And somewhere, either somebody that did that didn't know how beautiful this was. They did not know how powerful of an angle to run those three guys together and make it nationalistic. They didn't they either didn't understand how powerful that was, or they did and they got scared. And there are people where they like think they're walking some line, but they're not. It was wonderful. And I think that's what Francis was referencing, and I hope that he was. I do. I hope that's the three kings. I hope those guys run with it. I hope the UFC gets behind. I hope you guys get behind. It is one of the great angles ever. Not to mention the risk that they're taking. You got three kings. One of them falls, they all fall. But that's the power, right? With no risk, there's no reward. It would be ultimate risk. It would be ultimate reward. I think if you're a Francis fan, and I think that's all of us, even if we like to give Francis a hard time, I think we all fall in the category of a Francis fan. Says he's coming back. He says he's just getting started. Says he's got five more years. Says he's, he's one-third of the three kings. I don't see any reason we don't take him at his word. So I heard something interesting the other day, and it had to do with the way scoring works in MMA. It was a conversation between two big voices in the sport, and I want to tell you about it. All right, so Joe Rogan took a bump. Joe Rogan was the front story on one of the dirt sheets I go to, I either Mania or Elbow. And he was doing an interview with Aljo, must be recent. I know he's had Aljo on, I watched that interview, but for them to have just picked up the piece for it to be the headline this spore, he, he and Aljo must have done another piece. All right. How accurate that is, there's my detective work, but I'm sure that I'm right on that. And Joe is telling Sterling, they're discussing the judging, they're discussing the rules, and Joe tells Sterling, wouldn't it be great if, wouldn't it be great if they could look at damage in a round as opposed to control? Because there's times where you could be in complete control. For example, half guard. This is exactly what Joe said. But you could have a guy there for several minutes and not have done anything. Whereas you could get damage in a couple of seconds that should be able to outweigh positional control. Wouldn't that be great if we had done that? So the reason Joe was taking a bump is somebody heard that he said this. They play the clip and then they refresh everybody that the unified rules way back in 2016 changed to that very thing. That damage is to take precedent over control. Now, being aware of that, realizing that's a half a decade ago, realizing that the UFC champion did not know enough to correct the number one voice of the UFC, I got to tell you, I'm with them. I'm with Sterling and Joe, and I'm well aware of what the rule is. I don't know that I, I don't know that I fully agree that Joe misspoke and that Sterling himself didn't know the rule. Perhaps they did. Perhaps. But I still somewhat see it in their regard. I really do. Now, look, I'm well aware that the rule says that it's damage over control, but that is extremely speculative. That is very open for interpretation and how much damage takes precedence over how much control. I don't believe you. I do not believe you how many times you want to tell me that. If somebody's on their feet, boom, they land a straight, boom, they land to the body. Those are the two shots. No one else hits anyone for the rest of the round. That comes out, that's well less than a tenth of a second for those two shots to happen. The other guy takes him down and absolutely controls him. Does essentially what Sterling did in his last fight to Jan. 
takes the back, shows this great control, keeping him down, absolutely frustrated, looking for chokes, none of them land, doesn't soften him up with any punches. The only damage that was done, if we're determining that damage can only be done by strikes. And see, that, that gets interesting, right? That gets interesting. That would make sense that the only way that you could do damage is with a strike. That would make sense. If one guy hit the other guy twice in a round and the other guy hit the other zero times in a round, certainly the damage must have been done by the guy that did the shot. I, I don't agree. I'm not ready to say yes. I would have to see the round. I have been in wrestling matches on both sides. I have done a lot of damage back in my collegiate days to my opponents. I never hit anybody once. But if I'm being fair, I had a lot of damage done to me in certain rounds of wrestling matches or the matches in entirety, there's no strikes thrown at all. So I don't know that I fully agree. I mean, where are you going to put frustration in the world of damage? It comes back to the lobster example. You got two pots of water. One is cold water. One is boiling water. You take the lobster, you put him in the cold water. He doesn't move. You take the lobster, you put him in the boiling water. He fights like hell and he's trying to get out. The lobster has demonstrated a preference to not be in the hot water. I get it. Ding, ding. It made perfect sense. You knew that was going to happen. But he has demonstrated a preference. If you take a guy down and he's trying to get up the entire time, I think Peter Yan would be a fine example. And I'm only going to him because Aljo was talking to Joe and, and Aljo just fought him and had great control against him. But Yan was not staying down. He was not looking for triangles. He was not looking for arm bars. He was not comfortable on his back. He was not wanting to be in that position. He was not setting up Uma Pilatus. He was not setting up Tony Ferguson-style strikes. He was trying to get off the bottom so desperately that he turned his back. He said, to hell with everything if this is what it's going to take. He demonstrated a very clear preference that he did not want to be in that position. So how are you going to rate that? Are you going to tell me that damage can only be done with a strike? And if you are, and I have a feeling that you are, and I, in all fairness, you would make a very good point. You would make a very strong point. But then I'm going to turn to you and say, where within the unified rules does it say that? It doesn't. It says damage. That's number one. Followed by control. That's number two. I still maintain that's open to interpretation. I do. And I think if you think that it has to be strikes and it had to be damaged, if one guy landed two shots and this guy landed none and it's two to none and this is Rose versus Carla all over again, I'm not fully going to disagree with you. I'm just going to say that I have to reserve judgment until I see the specific ground. And I do believe damage can be done in other ways than a blow. I've had it done to me. I've done it to people. College wrestling, NCAA, Dan Gable school of thought. You push and you pull and you pressure. We get his heart beating out of his chest. Five minutes ago, before you did any of those things to him, he's pounding his chest like King Kong. Now he's over here faking that, that his shoe's untied. He can't get up and put his foot on the line. That's damage. You have damaged his confidence. You have damaged his game plan. You have damaged his strategy. You have damaged his will. It sounds a little weak when I say it, but I, I think that you guys hear me as I work through it. Even though it does say damage, number one, it does not specify what that has to come by. And I believe that that is a human's conclusion that that has to be done through strikes. 
And I would disagree. I put on grappling matches. I participated in grappling matches. I mean, I will just share with you, there was some very immense amount of damage that can be done with absolutely no strikes. How would you look at Vitor Belfort versus John Jones round one? With the arm bar that's got John's arm popping out. We have no way to know. It didn't look comfortable. How would we know? It didn't look like that was good for his ligaments. It didn't look like that was good for his joints. It didn't look like that was good for his bones. It didn't look like that felt good on his muscles. How do you actually know? It's tough. It's tough, isn't it? And I see it the way that Joe sees it. Not to mention Aljo, who's the sitting champion, who just defended his championship through control, not through damage. Did it correct him? He didn't know either. And I don't think it's that both of them were wrong. I don't think it's both of them missed the memo. That is certainly on the table. Perhaps they deserve a bump. But I'm going to have to get bumped right along with them. And I did know the rule. And I did know it changed in 2016. I do know the order of it. But I don't know where in there you're going to convince me or a jury of our peers that damage has to exclusively be done through strikes. The lobster showed a preference to be in the cool water as opposed to the hot. Peter Yan, you showed a preference to want to be on his feet as opposed to down. And I think that many other fighters would go into that same category. I think that it's interesting. I didn't love Joe's example. If you want to know anything that Joe said that I think that he should have been picked on, it's for talking about half guard. What the hell good is half guard? Best fighters in the world will tell you, don't pass guard. Stay in guard and pound. Announcers will tell, oh, he's advanced. He's in half guard. Oh, he took a jujitsu class. It's not any truth to it. What if he gets all the way to side control? Has he done anything more? No, he hasn't done anything more. That's the part that he should have been given a hard time about. Not for misstating a rule, even if he was wrong. Even if he was wrong, damage followed by control is, I maintain, open to interpretation. Okay, guys, massive event going down this weekend. And coming up in a moment, I'm going to give you my official prediction for Glover Teixeira versus Yuri Prohaska, the Bullet versus Santos, and Joanna versus Wei Lee. But before that, a quick word about today's sponsor. UFC 275 is stacked. Step into the octagon with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. Knockout, submission, or even judge's decision, no matter who wins or how the fight ends, new customers can bet $5 on UFC 275 and get $150 in free bets instantly. To Shara versus Prohaska, guys, we've been counting Glover out for a long time. He was never supposed to be the number one contender, let alone champion, and now he's in his first title defense. I think that age is only a number when it comes to Teixeira, and your best to not overlook the sitting champion. Are you looking for a big payday? Check out DraftKings Sportsbook's newest UFC feature, Same Game Parlays. Combine multiple bets, like which fighter will win, number of knockouts, and more for your shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, you can place a same game parlay on Saturday's fight, and if it hits, you'll double your winnings. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code CHAIL. Throw down $5 on UFC 275 and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's code CHAIL this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. 
Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. My official prediction, Yoana Champion versus Wei Li. Guys, what are we doing here with the promotion of this one? Now, I got I to gotta tell you, we have never been in a position like this, and this should be getting advertised. This should be in front of everybody's face. This has never happened before. By the way, Yoana to answer the question, this has never happened. Well, I got problems with Yoana. You know what? I got problems with Yoana because she's been out of the ring for a while. And Wei Li has not. Wei Li beat her when they were both active. Now Wei Li is active and Yoana is not. That's not wonderful, but I'm still taking Yoana and I'm taking it for this reason. When I tell you this has never happened before and this story should have been better told, this is the greatest women's fight of all time. Not Chael's opinion. They won the award. They are recognized by whatever publication does that. This is fight of the year overall, men's and women fight of the year, the year that they had it, but it still goes down as the number one women fight of all time. And many will say it is the number one fight of all time. We have never had a fight of this magnitude, never, that we've rematched, but changed the parameters. When they have fight of the year, when they have what is documented, when they won the award and got the acclaim, it was a 25-minute affair. We're taking those same athletes in the same weight class, doing the same thing, and we are going to shorten, thus maximizing effort, into a 15-minute atmosphere. That is the absolute story of this fight that nobody has told, and I don't know why. This has never been done. Think of any great fight that you've seen, guys, that you've demanded a rematch, and you've gotten it. They did not change the parameters. They did not change what was at stake. They did not change the placement on the card. That is very interesting concept that the greatest female fight that you've ever seen is going to rematch, except this time they are going to change their effort and they are going to change their output to try to maximize it because they're short 10 minutes. What does that change for each lady? And what I just told you, I don't love that Yoana's taking time off. That is a disadvantage of, against her. We do not get better at something by not doing it. However, I keep up on Yoana. I keep up on her. I see her around. When I go do Eagle FC, just by example, which happens to be in Florida where she lives, she comes up, she looks great. Right? A picture is worth a thousand words. I've seen her over time. I watch her interview. She hasn't gained a pound. That's very relevant. Fighters take off, they're not doing stuff. Their body looks different, right? It's calories in versus calories out. No, she's burning the calories. She's in the gym. Absolutely she is. Not just once, she's in twice. She looks as fit as she has ever looked. Now, I bring that to you because I she lost the first fight. She had two people fight. We found out who was better. The one that was better stayed active and continued to get better by the one that wasn't as good did not. That's very obvious equation. Generally, I'm going against it because of the reduction in time. I don't think Yoan has been off enough to be rusty. And I do think it's very relevant what I'm telling you about her physical appearance. She stayed in shape. That's, that's very accurate by me. She's been looking for fights regardless of whether we've got her to the octagon or not. She has been looking and trying to position. She wanted world title fights. She wanted top, but she was ready. And this is what she was ready for. It's very, it's very different than her suffering injury and being out. Her retiring, but coming back, her leaving the pool and re-entering. None of those things happen. You just haven't seen her in a minute. And there is something to be said for a break, not only for the physicality, but for the mentality. 
there's nothing more helpful in combat or sports as a whole than having a clear mind. And you cannot get a clear mind when you're taking on a full schedule. You get bogged down. It's one of the challenges. You've got to overcome it. So it is a situation where, I, you, right, you got to give the benefit to somebody here. Historically, I would always give that to Wei Lee. I'm giving it to Yoana, but those are my reasons. And the fact that they're going to take the most action-packed, highly coveted, most respected female fight of all time, and they're going to redo it, but they're going to change the parameters. Three rounds as opposed to five. It's extremely relevant. Nobody is holding back now. Nobody has anything to manage. These are five-round world championship fight, world champion ladies who know full well I can give it my all for 25. They don't even have to worry about fatigue. An athlete's greatest fear going into combat is not failure. It is not I'm going to lose this fight. I'm going to be embarrassed. My ranking's going to move. My pay's going to be affected. That is not their number one fear. Their biggest fear of any combat athlete is exhaustion. The only thing they will worry about in the locker room is getting to a point of fatigue where they can no longer follow the number one rule, which is protect yourself at all times. When you are that confident in your cardio, oh, and by the way, they just took 10 minutes away. You are talking about action and you are talking about a strategy like you have never seen before. If you think you saw their first fight and you enjoyed it, you've seen nothing yet. This story is the one that should be out there. This is what they should be talking about. The greatest fight of all time is going to be rematched. But they're both getting spotted 10 minutes. Guys, this is a fascinating match. I'm taking Yoana Champion. My official prediction for the Bullet versus Santos. The Bullet. Come on. Now, let me take you on a journey, though. Okay? Instead of sitting here and praising the Bullet... And sharing with you in full disclosure, I've done a lot of homework on Santos, and I'm just not there. I'm just not. But we don't always know what we're looking at. In all fairness, we do not always know what we're looking at. If you get a tape of somebody, it's a tape that his mom made from five years ago when he was fighting in a smaller promotion. And the announcer isn't sharp, and the lighting's not great, and the camera angles aren't all in place. No matter how good he is, no matter how impressive those skills look, if you juxtapose that with a feed that you got from the UFC that you stole off the internet that is beautifully produced, you're automatically going to assume the better fighting was in the better quality of production. That That's true. Now, I bring that up because... We believe the bullet is great. But that has to be compared to something. Anything in life. Oh, he's a funny guy. Okay, but compared to who? Compared to the other guys in the room? Oh, this is a really good steak. Okay, but compared to what? Compared to the other steak that you have? Right? Everything has to be compared to. The reason I say is we're convinced that the bullet is great, correct? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Are we right? How would we know? How would we know until we're exposed to more people? And Santos is a real threat. I don't know a goddamn thing about her, but I know that she's 19 and 1. I know that she's got a Muay Thai background, which is what the bullet likes to do. I know at least in theory she's the hunger of the opponents, though she's likely also the most, the more intimidated of the two. 
But what I'm sharing for you is I don't know a ton about her. Now, hold this thought and go back to the Ronda Rousey days. We were absolutely under the belief that that was the greatest fighting machine that we had ever seen. What we later found, and this isn't a knock on Ronda, guys. This isn't a knock to Ronda at all. It's a very good example because she was a very meaningful person within our sport. Not being critical. What I'm sharing is, she never got passed up. She never got worse. Father time never got her. It was none of the things that bring down that great big shiny star of an athlete. It was none of them. It was that the division just wasn't worked out. We didn't have the foggiest idea who the top contender was. We didn't know who should be ranked number one, who should be ranked number four. We didn't know who should be fighting for the belt. We didn't know who should be in contenders fights. We didn't know anything about the division. So it was never a case of like that next era fighter came along. No, it wasn't that. It was it was all the girls that are around at the same time. We just hadn't got her in, in the cage yet. We just hadn't got her in the cage with Holly Holm. On paper, an Olympic judico medalist versus a stand-up fight. There's nothing to see. We've tested this back uh, since 1993, and we can keep trying it again. We can bring in the James Tonys, or we can bring in the Clarissa Shields. Like We can keep reminding ourselves that the grappler is dominant with an MMA. Or we can just keep Holly away from Ronda now. Like That made perfect sense at the time. That made perfect sense at the time until Holly beat every girl in front of her and you just had to give her the opportunity. It was a seven to one favorite for Ronda. We all knew how that story was going to end. I only say that insert Amanda Nunes. We just simply didn't know that Amanda was at that level. She didn't really speak up. She didn't have this huge reputation around her. She didn't have an incredible amateur background. She didn't do any sport that was even contested in the Olympic Games. It was one of those that we didn't know. We did not know. And I'm bringing that to you because as much as we think that the bullet, we think that we found it and she's the perfect product. And I do too. I am team bullet. Top five skilled athletes to ever do the sport. I understand that. But what if we're wrong? That's all that I'm suggesting. We really don't know that division very well, do we? We really don't know it as well as we like to pretend that we know it. Just because we've watched every fight ever since they've been contested. And just because we read the rankings every Tuesday at 9 a.m., we really don't know that division. You know it better than you knew Ronda Rousey's division back in that day. I understand that, but that was brand new. That was the first female fighter. But you don't know it all that well. It's very relevant that you understand that. We don't know when that person is going to stand across from Valentina and be the one. Be the one that can do everything Valentina can do, only better. She's a great striker. She just happens to be better than Valentina, right? It's all a comparison. Valentina's in really good shape. This person happens to have better cardio. Valentina's plenty strong. This person happens to be strong. Like, we don't know until that happens, but we never know. The same is true with the guys' division. I mean, I could go back in history. This wasn't a single out Ronda. We could go back to the men's divisions with the light heavyweight class and the 185-pound class. I mean, I could go through history and tell you plenty of champions within the UFC. I don't want to do it. I don't want to be a jerk and embarrass these guys. But they had no business even being in the organization. They were the champion. There was guy that had no bit. They could never get a contract under today's standards. If somehow they had a favor, their uncle works in the office and could slide, whatever. And they, get, they would never be seen on television. They were the champions. You don't know what you know until you know it. It's a very real thing. I feel like 125 pounds has been established enough. I feel like the bullet has proved herself enough. I'm not sure how accurate my example will be, but it's a fair point by me. It's very fair that we do not know these divisions the way that we pretend. 
Doesn't matter how many of those fights that you've seen, they haven't held enough of those fights. There hasn't been 100, 125 pound fights ever held in history. There is not a huge focus group and pool to draw from, and we really don't know how well that order of the top 10, in fact, is. We don't. It is not established. And it's one of those things where I think we're right. I'm quite sure the bullet's going to win. I'm quite sure the bullet is going to win absolutely every round. If you win a round against the bullet, you just had a wild amount of success. If you won two rounds against the bullet, you've just done better than anybody not named Amanda Nunes has ever done in the cage with Valentina. But it is it is one of those very real things. And before you think this is Chael going in an interesting direction, and in fairness, I'm stretching a little bit here, but you wonder where I got this idea and this entire concept? I got it from Valentina. I listened to a Valentina interview this morning, and she talked about that. She talked about living in the moment, being the absolute best that she can do, appreciating it, having fun, enjoying it, respecting everybody across from her, and understanding, I don't truly know. I'm number one, and I've got this belt, but what if I hadn't even come to the organization yet? Whoever is number one, you wouldn't even know me, and you wouldn't know how to compare my skills against them, and that's true. There is new people coming in, and we truly do not know 125 pounds. We believe that we found our champion, but we believe that with Ronda Rousey as well. Everybody had told us. Jim Rome and Dan Lebetard assured us. Joe Rogan told us this was a once-in-a-lifetime. Dana White told us she could beat up Floyd Mayweather in MMA. I mean, right, there was these th- we didn't know. So how good is the opponent of the bullet? I mean, that's what she's got to go out there and prove. And the only way a goldfish can eat a shark is a whole bunch of little bites. If you try to look at that contest and try to think how you're going to get the jump on Valentina for the better part of 25 minutes, you're not going to win. You are going to have to break it down into rounds, and then you're going to have to break it down into minutes. I need to win this minute. Then if you get really good, if you're really a mentally tough athlete, you can break it down into 30 seconds. No athlete can do better than that. No athlete can be right here, this punch for this punch. No athlete's that good. They'll say they are, but they aren't. If they could break it down into 30 seconds, let me just win this 30 seconds, and then we'll repeat that 30 seconds. We'll do 10 30-second increments, and that will consist of a round. If you can do that, if you have that kind of mental toughness and that kind of mental training, that's what you're going to be able to do. If you can get to certain positions, if you can gain favor with judges, If you can understand, I just need to touch her more than she touches me. This is not complex. We are not building a spaceship here. And as many people as you want to get that dropped out of eighth grade with their gold teeth and they want to talk about the fight game and how much they know, this is not a sophisticated game. Can you touch them more times than they touch you in 25 minutes? That is what you are up against. And I'm going to predict for this contest, no, Valentina will touch her opponent more. My official prediction, Glover Teixeira versus Yuri Prohaska. Guys, I'm taking Glover and I'm taking it out of respect. You know what? That's very unprofessional by me. I see guys whose job it is to go out and give an analysis. And I will watch them do the computation in their head where it's whoever they are personally better friends with. And then if they're like friends with both guys, they'll come out and go, this is a really hard one. But I'm slightly leaning toward, which just means I'm really good friend. It's really weird. It's very unprofessional. But I'm going to disclose it for you. I'm going to disclose that I'm doing it out of respect. I mean, we can only discount Glover so many times. But in all fairness, we can only expect Glover to have so many left in the chamber. 
He's over 40 years old. He was given this opportunity when he was younger and failed to achieve it. I mean, in many ways, we have to look at it and go, hey, he's, he's living the dream. He's in the right place at the right time. He had the right performance, the right competition, and God bless him. But this next one is probably going to be the last one. I get that, but what kind of a breakdown is that? The hell kind of analysis is that? I didn't talk about who's orthodox, who's southpaw. I didn't talk about the jab and slipping inside and getting to the body unless this guy steps outside and counts. I mean, none of them are fair analysis. Look, you got a younger guy in Prohaska that's won 25 of his last 26 fights, or he's 24 and one in his last fight. I mean, just something crazy. But he fights a very risky game. Not for nothing, Prohaska has some interesting striking. It comes from different angles, and he generates a ton of power. The other side to Prohaska is if he doesn't get it done in the first five minutes, his chances of getting it done at all greatly diminish, and nobody seems to want to talk about that. Anytime you are a striker, you are playing a very dangerous game. We have seen great strikers. We saw one last week, and his name is Rosenstrike. A professional striker get finished in the first round with strikes. It's a very dangerous game. Prohaska cannot take one on the chin from Glover any better than anybody else can just because he's won 24 of his last 25 fights. Ain't got nothing to do with it. His chin's his chin. And you are dealing with some real intangibles when you're dealing with the experience of Glover Teixeira. He is going to manage his energy efficiently. He's going to be around in the 20th minute. He's going to be around in the 23rd minute. That is not something you can put a check in that box for Prohaska based on evidence that you currently have. He may pass all of those tests. I'm just sharing with you, he hasn't yet. He's a really dangerous and awkward striker. Glover's wrestling is not good enough to not have to go out and strike with him. Just not. Glover just can't, he can't change elevation and go and blast a double. He can wear on you a little bit. Now, you start talking about the second and third round, he's going to get a hold of you. It's different. But at first, that speed, that explosiveness, that kind of stuff matters. But that's a two-way street. Glover Teixeira was every single day in the training room with John Hackleman and Chuck Liddell. Glover's an excellent striker. I would argue he won the world championship off of his striking. Regardless of what your memory tells you in that position was on the ground, I'll just share for you, Glover could take care of himself. We need Glover. If you're team Glover, you got to get him out of the first round. But that's just a numbers game. With Prohaska, your chances greatly improve when you take a little spunk out of him. When you get him moving around, when you get a heartbeat going. Prohaska's a great fighter, but I do, I do think more interesting, even than the X's and O's of this fight, I think what's more interesting is the number one contender. The number one contender, had you asked me 24 hours ago, I would have told you is Jan Blahovich. Now, I would have told you it's Jan. Because he's ranked number one in the world. He said that he would like the opportunity. During Jan's last fight with Rachik, just prior to the fight, yet during the broadcast, Glover Teixeira tweeted out to the world, I will defend against whoever wins this fight, which was Jan. Yuri Prohaska came out 48 hours ago and said, if I beat Glover, I will be defending against Blahovich." So you have both principles. One of them is going to hold the strap who have already committed publicly that they will give it to Blahovich, who is the former champion and the current number one contender. Great. We're all done here, right? Well, no, not so fast. Dana White said, uh-uh. Dana White said the number one contender's fight is Anthony Smith versus Uncle Aya. I agree with that. I agree with that. I'm going to, I'm going to be in the minority. Now, we know how these work. 
It's going to matter how Anthony Smith and Uncle Live look, for sure. It's going to matter who wins, Glover, and right. there's going to be a lot of politics at play. We're a long ways from done on this, but that's a very different conversation. The fact that we have a number one contender's bout still out there. I love that Lionheart's getting shown that respect, by the way. The guy's done eight main events. Eight, five-round training camps. That's crazy. And I think his fight with Uncle Lyon, that's probably a main event, right? I mean, are they are they are they debuting under somebody else? Co-main event? I don't think so. I think they're going out there for five rounds. Lionheart's gonna now be in nine fights. Come on, you get something for that. You get something. You go and you do your job and you do it well. You get something. And Uncle Liav, not for nothing. You guys don't know who he is, and it's really fun to say Uncle Liav. Like that's a that's a funny name to say for some reason, Uncle Liav. He's like 14 and 0 out of Dagestan. This guy's a hammer. You guys just aren't familiar with him. So the mere fact that Dana's even giving him this shine and making everybody look in a different direction, look, there's nothing better for a division than parody. You don't take any opportunity from anybody. Blahovich took a big risk. He went out there. He had some great moments. He for sure needs to be in a position where he can work himself back into it. And I'm not convinced that he's not there right now. If Glover goes and gets a win and calls out on the mic, Blahovich, you're having a completely different conversation. Okay, guys, we don't know anything yet. Nothing is set in stone. But Dana White has definitely created a new conversation for us to have that we weren't having yesterday. Uncle I of Lionheart, that is the fight to look at. That is your number one contender's fight. Forget about the rankings. There's all sorts of reasons before you can get ranked, right? Uncle Lai has never even lost a fight, ever. He's ranked like number nine. So don't look at the rankings, and it's a, it's a nice little jumping off point, but there's something to be said for parity, too. And I think that, I think that moreover, that that is very relevant. As you're going through this fight, which nobody seems to be overly excited for, I, mean, I, I, can't, I can't force you guys to be excited to watch this match, but I, I'm just sharing with you, after this match, we are going to begin setting up storylines in a historically perennial division. This organization, specifically, the UFC has ran, has kept the doors open in certain eras of its lifetime with the light heavyweight class. So it's these guys' job to bring a little excitement and bring a little bit of flair. They're going to have their opportunity, and then they're going to be given a platform that is a microphone. Let's see what they do with it. But I'm not ready to count Glover out. I'm just not going to do it. I think it's rude. It's not much of a reason to give a basis. But I do like what I'm saying about the longer the fight goes. I do like what I'm saying that as good and dangerous and awkward and effective as Prohaska is, you go look a little bit closer, that's in the first round. And guys like that are very relevant. And I assure you that Glover has factored that little equation that I just broke down. He's factored that into his plan. Now, he's got to get to the second and third round, but he has a plan, and that's where the experience, that's where the veteran does come in. I'm giving this one to Teixeira. All right, guys, that's it for today's program. Thank you for listening. I want to remind you that on Sunday, we are going to be dropping a bonus episode where I'm going to give you my immediate reaction to UFC 275. So I hope you guys enjoy the fights, and I hope you all come back here on Sunday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.